with that, let me pray, and then we'll jump into to this week's passage. So, um, Father, we thank you so much for uh, this prayer that we get to look into today. And Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would really challenge us with it, encourage us with it. Um, Lord, it says in here that, uh, that you want to fill us with all the fullness of God. And so I pray that that would happen uh, even as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for a couple of weeks, I was fixing the problem in my car by just turning the radio up. Anyone else like that? You just, you know, it makes a noise and you think, I know how to fix that. And you just crank it up a little bit louder and then the noise kind of goes away. Uh, well, one day it got so loud, the radio couldn't fix it anymore. And it was so bad, I couldn't accelerate beyond 10 miles an hour. And so I was on a kind of busy road and cars honking and going around me. And I'm like, can't you see I'm in an old beat up car from the 80s? Uh, come on, like, just give me a break here. And so I pulled over in a high school parking lot and I picked the high school parking lot because uh, I knew there'd be a payphone. And I know it's hard for some of you to imagine a time uh, before cell phones, but this was the time before cell phones. And so if you had to make a call, you had to find something that was actually attached to like a physical thing. And, uh, and if you weren't at home, you had to find a thing where you'd put uh, a quarter into um, and uh, not Bitcoin, but like the thing before that. So that's how you would communicate when you're out and about. And so I needed to find somewhere where I knew there'd be a payphone. So I pulled over in a high school parking lot. And um, uh, well, let me back up, actually. The reason I was out in my car in the first place was because our youth group was taking all the teenagers to see a groundbreaking new film. This is a groundbreaking new film. Uh, and uh, it was the Left Behind movie starring Kirk Cameron. Uh, and uh, the youth pastor sent me ahead of the group about two hours to buy 40 tickets to make sure that we could make sure that all the kids in the youth group got a seat uh, in the theater to see this film. I mean, the irony in all this is um, we were about the only ones in the theater, so I didn't need to go two hours early, but I did. And so I went to buy the tickets, and I had almost two hours to kill, so I drove to the nearest Starbucks, which, again, we're going back in time now, about 20 years, so... Uh, there wasn't a Starbucks in every corner back then, and so you had to drive 20 minutes to get to a Starbucks, so that's what I did. Um, and uh, I was on my way back from the Starbucks to the theater, um, and that's when the car died in the high school parking lot. And so here I am with 40 tickets to left behind in my back pocket, uh, stranded about 15 minutes drive away from the theater, and I have the fate of 40 teenagers, um, first and probably last step into Christian cinema. It's, it's hanging in the balance. Will they or won't they see the film? Will it happen? Uh, and I found the payphone, but it was too late. They had already loaded up the vans to head to the theater. And so, again, no cell phones. So um, I couldn't even call, like, someone driving a van of teenagers because they didn't have a phone. And so uh, there was no use calling them. And so now I was desperate. And so thankfully there was some sort of sporting event. I think it was a wrestling match happening at the school. And so there were people streaming in and out of the gym. And so I walked over to the gym and I started asking people if they could give me a ride to the theater. Um, like I didn't, it didn't compute to me in my like 19 year old brain that, you know, a man my size going up to women walking in and out somewhere asking for a ride was probably not the best idea. But that's what I was doing. And uh, I, was, I was desperate. And uh, I bared, just, you know, kept asking and asking and asking. And everyone just said no. Everyone said no. And so um, now I had barely enough time to get from the school parking lot to the theater, and so I was even more desperate. And at this point in my life, I was actually a pretty young Christian. Um, and I'd become a Christian just you know, a couple years before, and I'd just finished my first semester of Bible college, 
But at that time, I was still pretty much just figuring out, like, what it is to be a Christian. Like, how do you live as a Christian? What kinds of things do Christians do? And so prayer wasn't, like, a thing I did a lot of at that point in my life. And um, it didn't occur to me to pray until after I'd exhausted all of my ways of trying to get to the theater so that the teenagers could see the Left Behind movie. And so I did. I prayed. And it was a simple prayer. It was something like this. God, please send someone out of the school who will offer me a ride. Amen. And then, blammo! I'm not kidding. A guy walks out and he says, hey, you need a ride somewhere? And I was like, are you kidding? Uh, yeah, I need to get to the movie theater. And so we saw the movie. Um, that, that's not the point. The point is not that we saw the movie. The point is that I prayed this prayer and God answered it like in an instant. And wouldn't it be great if all our prayers were answered like that? Like, wouldn't it be great if that's, you know, you prayed something and then just, boom, there it is. It's just there. You have it. Um, but that's almost never how it works. And I have to be honest, um, that's, I don't think I've ever had anything like that happen again. Maybe once or twice. Uh, and I've been praying now for at least those 20 years. And I'm not sure that I've ever had something answered that quickly or that directly. It seems often prayers go unanswered, or at least they get answered in ways differently than we asked. Or maybe they just get answered much, 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 much more slowly than we would hope. And more than that, unanswered prayers are often a reason people reject God or, or they turn away from him. You prayed for something, it didn't go the way you prayed, and so therefore God isn't real. Or he isn't listening, or worse, he is listening, but he doesn't care. And so sometimes unanswered prayers are a reason that people turn away from God. And that can be frustrating for both the Christian and the non-Christian. It, it sort of seems obvious that the point of prayer, the reason we need to pray is for God to meet our needs, right? So the all-powerful, all-loving God, therefore, if he loves us, can and should meet our needs. And that, or so that's how we think. We think that's how it should go. And in fact, if we think that's the purpose of prayer, that actually turns out to be a mistake. If we think prayer is just a means to getting God to give us what we want, even what we think we need, then that, that's a mistake. And the truth is, we don't, you don't actually want a God like that. That's the truth. You don't want a God who just is like, you know, the genie in Aladdin who just grants you all your wishes. You don't want a God like that. You want a God who's better than that. So, have you ever had a prayer turned down? Have you ever prayed one and didn't get an answer? Or feel like it wasn't heard? Or not answered in the way you want. Well, of course you have. Of course you have prayers turned down and prayers not answered when you wanted them or how you wanted them, of course. And what we're going to see in this passage that Joy read to us are a couple of prayers that God actually delights to answer. That if you pray them, he, God loves to answer these prayers. And if you pray them, it will even transform the way you pray, the way that you expect God to answer your prayers. And so here's what I want us to see, that shifting the focus of our prayers from asking God to change our circumstances towards asking God to change our hearts. Those are the prayers that God delights to answer. Asking God to strengthen our inner life leads to the change that we need the most. And what I mean by that is the kind of change that will make a tremendous difference in our weakest moments and the moments where, where we most need God to show up. If you pray these prayers, this will make the difference. And for that shift to happen, then, we need to see three things that come out in this passage. Uh, so first, we need to see what God can do. 
Second, we'll need to see what God delights to do. And then thirdly, therefore, we need to see where we should focus our prayers the most. Uh, so we'll see those three things as we go through this. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 3 and let's start with what God can do. And to see that, we're going to start at the end. Uh, because it's at the end of the chapter where we see exactly what God is capable of doing. So what can he do? Well, the short answer is anything. He can do anything. That's the short answer. He has the power to do anything he wants to. Look at verse 20. Do you see there where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Do you see that there? Now our translation in the, in the NIV is a little bit tame, a little bit understated when it says immeasurably more. It's a very tame way of putting what Paul wrote. The meaning is right. It means to say, like, you know, to say something that's immeasurable means that it's so big, it's so vast, it's so grand, it's, it's beyond the ability to measure, right? Immeasurable. Uh, it's without measure. And also then it says that it's immeasurably more. So it's more than immeasurable. More than, as you can see, even in English, it's difficult to express something like this. It's kind of a challenge. And so what Paul did is he resorted to what's called a compound word. And now, um, you know uh, Uber, the ride-sharing app? Before it was a ride-sharing app, uh, it was like a thing that we all said. Do you remember these days? Uh, when Uber uh, was an expression, it was something really good or really big or really important. You'd say it was Uber, right? So it's Uber important, Uber smart, Uber powerful, right? Do you remember that? And before that, before it was used in our language that way, it was a German word meaning over, above, or super, right? It's, it's this wonderful, grand thing. Well, in Greek, the word that works like that is the word hyper. And so if you want to express uh, that something was beyond normal, you would add hyper to it. Something like, that's hyper good, that's hyper strong, that's hyper important. And we know this word already, right? Like hypersonic uh, or hyperbole, an exaggerated statement, right? So we, we already know this word. And so what Paul does is he, uh, he takes a word that already means beyond measure, so that word's already there, and then he adds the word hyper in front of it. That's what he does. Uh, and so he takes a word that already means beyond measure, overly abundant, exceedingly, and then he adds hyper in front of it. So you put the two words together, and now it's beyond beyond measure. It's exceedingly overly abundant. And then just for good measure, he actually throws the word hyper in after that word. And so that's the word more that's in there. So when he says uh, immeasurably more, he's thrown that hyper word in again. Uh, and so he throws it all in together and piles these words on top of each other. And so in other words, you could translate it like this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abund overly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. And so you begin to get the sense that language is failing to express the greatness of God's power because it's beyond limits. Paul is attempting to define the indefinable, to measure the immeasurable, and that's why he has to pile words on top of words. And I came across something in a, a book I was reading this week um, from a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he, he actually explains this this way. He says, this shows the total inadequacy of language. Our greatest superlatives do not describe the power of God. Add one to another, multiply them, add them together, multiply them again, and go on doing so beyond all things, exceeding abundantly beyond all things, and you still have not succeeded in describing it. Is there anything beyond all things? The power of God is exceeding abundant beyond all things. And just think about that. I mean, have you ever experienced something uber, something hyper-powerful? The overwhelming shaking of an earthquake. 
the nearness of a lightning strike, the winds of a hurricane, the waves of a tsunami. You ever experienced any of that? What this text is saying is all of those are nothing, like nothing, nothing compared to the power of God, to the exceeding, abundant, beyond all things, immeasurable power of God. Add all those things together, the power of an earthquake, of a lightning bolt, of a hurricane, a tsunami, then multiply them by hundreds and thousands and millions, and you still aren't even able to come close to the power and strength and capability of God. And so our language fails to give us a way of expressing this. So what's this showing us? If God is that powerful, what's that showing us? Well, if anything, it's not showing us that our prayers are too big. It's showing us that our prayers are too small. If God has the power to raise the dead, as we've seen already in chapter 2, to transform our hearts from death to life to uh, what we saw um, in the last couple of weeks, the power to destroy the dividing wall of hostility between him and us and us and other people, then merely asking God for a better job or for a husband or for a better life, better circumstances, that's too small. It's too small. It's not that we shouldn't ask for those things. We should ask for them. But what this text is saying is that we can and we should ask for more than a change in our circumstances. That God is abundantly powerful and able to do something even harder than change your circumstances. And that is this. We should ask for a change in heart. That God's asking, we can ask God to change our hearts. Do you see that in the text? Look. Look at it again. What does it say? It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, measurably more than, right? So exceedingly abundantly beyond. And then he says, all, all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so do you see that God is immeasurably more than capable to do all that we ask? And so when you pray, take just a moment to remember just who it is that you're speaking with. Who is this being? What is the truth about this being that I am about to address? Um, John Newton, do you know John Newton? The former slave ship captain who's famously converted and quit the slave trade and uh, then became a, a minister. Uh, he's the one who wrote that, the most famous hymn of all, Amazing Grace. He's, he's the guy that wrote that. He wrote lots and lots of other things. He wrote another hymn uh, and he puts it this way. Thinking about who we come to when we pray, here's how he puts it in this hymn. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Coming to a king. When we pray, we're coming to a king, and it's a king to whom we can never, ever ask too much. You can bring your most daring petitions. You can bring your most impossible requests. You can add more and more things to them. You can let the whole church join together in their wildest desires and demands. There's no danger of ever exceeding the limit of what God is capable of doing. His grace and power is such that none can ever ask too much. Now, 
asking, if you think about it, it, that's what we're willing to state out loud, right? Like, if you ask something, that, that, that's at the level of like, oh, I'll, I'll say this thing out loud. Uh, but it also says that God is able to do measurably more than all we imagine. And so there's a distinction between what we ask and what we imagine, right? We put a limit on our requests. We tend to only vocalize to state out loud what we think is reasonable. But in our imaginations, we think about what is unreasonable. We think about what is beyond possible. Our imagination is where our minds soar and where they dream. And what this text is saying is that God can even do those things too. That's the kind of power that he has. He's not only capable to do exceedingly abundant more than we can ask, but also more than we can imagine. All that we can conjure up with our highest and most inspired thoughts of imagination. And now, that is what God can do. More than all we can ask or imagine. So that's what God can do, but it doesn't mean that's what he will do. This isn't like a text that says, great, so God can do that, so therefore he will. It's not as if you ask or imagine the greatest possible life circumstances and bring that request before God, and boom, there it is. Because you also need to think about what God cares about, about what his priorities are. And what's God's priorities? Well, I used to have a professor who said this all the time. He, he used to say, God is far more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. It's far more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. And so God's priority is to prepare us for heaven, to shape our character to the character of Christ. He's way more concerned about that than he is how comfortable you are. And actually, if you read through the Bible, one of the main themes that you'll see, one of the main things you learn is that it's our discomfort that brings about our character. And so prayers for our circumstances to improve, those are valid prayers to pray. We should pray them. We need to pray them. Um, But what we're starting to see from this text is that prayers for our circumstances alone are too small. Prayers for our circumstances alone are too weak. God wants to and can do exceedingly abundantly more than improve your circumstances. He wants to improve your heart to give you strength to fill you with his love. Which leads us to our second point, what God delights to do. So we've seen what God can do. Let's look now at what God delights to do. And we see this in in the two prayers that Paul prays in verses 16 and 17. I'm just going to summarize them for you. Uh, The first prayer is for strength from God's power. That's in verse 16. And in verse 17, the second prayer is for power to grasp the limitless dimensions of God's love, of the love of Christ. And as we look at these two prayers, I want you to keep in mind the context. So remember the context. We learn in verses 1 to 13 of chapter 3 that Paul, he's suffering greatly. Remember, he's in prison. Uh, And not only is he suffering, but the Ephesian Christians, they're suffering as well. And so suffering is the context of this prayer. In other words, horrible life circumstances are why Paul is praying this prayer. Okay? That's the reason he prays this prayer. Now, not only that, but when you stack this prayer up against all any other prayer in the Bible, this one stands out as probably the most magnificent, probably the most uh, exalted, probably the most compelling. There's no other prayer in the Bible so lofty in its language, so raw in its emotions, so deep in its longing as this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay? So it's... It's a prayer that is prayed in the midst of immense suffering. And this is maybe the loftiest, most exalted prayer in the Bible. 
And I want you to notice what the prayer isn't about. Notice what it's not for. It's not about circumstances. It's not for anyone's life circumstances to improve. It's not even for rescue from the severe suffering of being in prison. That's not what he's praying for. Now hold on to that because we're going to come back to that in a minute. But I needed you to see it in order to really understand the kinds of prayers that God delights to answer. So this prayer is a prayer in the context of suffering. Now the first prayer in verse 16 is for strength from God's power. So in other words, God wants to, he delights to give you his strength. From his immeasurable, exceedingly abundant power, he wants to give you strength. Why? Why would he do that? Well, the answer, it says in verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, that word dwell, it means inhabit. It means, uh, it's a strong verb. It doesn't mean just come and stay for a while. It means to come and live there, to move in, to make it your primary home. And so the end result of Christ dwelling in you is that he gives you his character. Homes always take on something of the character of the people who live in them. Like, if you know someone really well, you can almost picture what their home is like. The image here is that Christ comes to dwell in your heart. And then when he does that, he brings everything that is his with him. It's not just a suitcase of a few representative things, not just some of his wardrobe, a few things out of his closet. He brings everything. All that is his becomes yours. And the longer that he lives there, the more of his character, the more like him you become. And Paul's point here is that if, if that's going to happen... If Christ is going to come and move in, then you need to be strengthened. You need strength. You have to be strengthened because in your current state, you can't handle it. In other words, you must be strengthened. You must undergo renewal in order to handle everything that comes with Christ when he moves in. Um, my old office in Liverpool, it was a converted Georgian townhouse. Um, it was originally built as a large home for a wealthy family. Uh, if you're having trouble picturing that, um, think about the Banks family home in Mary Poppins. Uh, or 221B Baker Street, um, but without the magical nanny, okay? So it was like that, but no one, you know, pulling coat racks out of bags and things like that. Um, so that's how the building started, and then eventually it was converted. It was converted by one of the universities in, in the city to become a science lab and a lecture hall. It's a weird building to have as a lecture hall, but that's what they did. And um, before the university could move in and start doing that, they needed to completely reinforce the structure of the building. And so now running through the building, holding each floor up and the, and the walls up uh, of the building are these big, sturdy, heavy I-beams. They're crisscrossing the whole building, holding up every floor and every wall. Uh, it's almost like they, they, they gave the building a new skeleton. Like they came inside and built a new skeleton inside this building. Uh, and so now it's rock solid. It's never going anywhere. Uh, and here's the point. Before it could be used for its new purpose, it needed to be strengthened. Like to go from a, a single family home with maybe four or five, six people living in it to a building where you'd have hundreds of students and faculty coming in and out uh, every day of the week uh, and for them to put big heavy science equipment and all that in there, it, it needed to be strengthened. And so they strengthened the building and then it got to be used for its new purpose. And that's what Paul is saying. The first prayer is that the Christian would be strengthened with God's power in order to handle God's Son coming and living in us, transforming us, renewing us. And that's in our inner being, on the inside. 
And so that's the first prayer. The second prayer is even more incredible. And as we look at this, as we get into the second prayer, you need to know that we're about to look into something of which we will never, ever come to the end, ever. You will never come to the end of this. You know, when you get to the book of Revelation and you see what it is that people and angels are doing and contemplating for all of eternity, you'll see this thing. This is the theme that they're doing for all of eternity. If you're a Christian, you will spend all of eternity gazing upon this truth, staring at it, marveling at it, wondering at it, being amazed by it, astounded by it. You'll never bore of it. You'll never tire of it. You'll, ne- you'll long for it every waking moment. And that theme is the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. Look again at verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Okay, I pray that you may have power. That's the first part of the prayer. Um, Power to what? Power together with all the Lord's holy people. That's the church. So power along with the whole church. And so what's the power? The power is this. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, in these verses, Paul has the exact same struggle he had down in verse 20. There just isn't an earthly expression or language big enough to handle this truth about the extent of the love of Christ. There just isn't language strong enough to do it. And so to try and get there, he uses both a metaphor and a paradox. Look at the metaphor. He talks about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, the metaphor is simply this. There is no direction. There's no direction that you can go where you will come to the end of his love. So you can go right, you can go left, you can go up, you can go down. You can go north, you can go south, you can go east, you can go west. You can go northeast, you can go southwest, you can go north-northeast, south-southwest. It doesn't matter what direction you go. You will never come to the end of the love of Christ. It doesn't matter which direction, it doesn't matter how far you go. You will never come to the end of his love for you. Now that's the metaphor The paradox is verse 19. He says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, to know something you cannot possibly know. That's the paradox. To know something that you can't know. And by the way, that word hyper shows up again here. Paul prays that we can know something that is hyper-knowable, beyond knowledge. And what is it that he prays? What is it that he wants us to have? It's the power to grasp to know the love of Christ. And imagine the difference it makes if you can begin to grasp his love, to know this love. Have you been feeling sorry for yourself? Are you down on yourself because of life circumstances? Have you been seeing prayer and worship as tedious tasks? Have you struggled to lift your eyes from your own circumstances? What Paul says is the antidote to that is the love of Christ. To grasp it. To know it. To think on it, to meditate on it, to contemplate it. Have you realized its breadth? Have you realized its length, its height, its depth? Have you realized that not only do you pray to the king but you are loved extensively by him. 
Do you realize that he's set his affection on you? Have you realized the height of his ambition for you? Because if you did, if you were filled with the knowledge of this love, you would be entirely transformed. The width of your circumstances, the length, the height, the depths of your circumstances would become tiny stones instead of huge mountains in light of it. Now, the ultimate truth is that the love of Christ is as long and wide and high and deep as the cross of Christ. Some of the early church fathers uh, suggested that when thinking of this metaphor, Paul was thinking of the shape of the cross, right? You know, the sign up, down, left, right. That Paul was thinking of the shape of the cross. And whether he was or he wasn't, the Bible says over and over again that the cross is the ultimate expression of the love of Christ. The act of Jesus Christ spread out wide and long and high and deep on the cross is his greatest expression of love for you, that, that he would take that for you, that he would endure that for you, that he would die for your sins though you don't deserve it, though he didn't deserve it. That's the ultimate expression of the height, depth, width, length of the love of Christ. Now, again, we have to ask the question, why? Why pray this? Why would he pray this? Well, our answer, it's in verse 19. It's that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's our third point. And very, very briefly, in order for our prayers to shift from asking God to change our circumstances to asking him to strengthen us in our inner being, to transform our, our inner life, in order to experience the kind of change that will make a tremendous deep difference in our weakest moments and the moments that we most need God to show up. For that shift to happen, we need to see these three things. We need to see what God can do. We need to see what God delights to, to do. And then thirdly, therefore, from those two things, we need to see where we need to focus our prayers the most. Where will it make the most difference? And look at the focus of Paul's prayers. Remember we said that when Paul writes this, uh, both he and the, the church in Ephesus are suffering. Horrible circumstances that to you and I would seem like a mountain. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in prison. But notice Paul doesn't even bring up the circumstances in his prayer. So what does he focus on? Instead, he focuses on the inner person. He focuses on the heart. We see that in verse 19. Why does he pray that we would grasp the love of Christ? It's so that we'd be filled to the fullness of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about our inner life. He's talking about our hearts. Back in verse 16, he, he states it outright, that, that we would be strengthened in our inner being. And in verse 17, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. And here's what this is telling us. It's saying, yes, pray for your circumstances. Are you facing difficult circumstances? Pray for them. Ask God to help you in that. Pray for sickness to be healed, for the hiring manager to call and say, welcome aboard, the casting agent to say you got the part, for the... Uh, pray for a spouse, pray for children, pray for enough money to make rent, pray for your circumstances, pray for other circumstances. Do that, pray for those things. But more than that, what this text is showing us is pray for your heart. Pray this prayer along with prayer for your circumstances. Pray that God would, pray God, would you strengthen me in my inner being with your power to face a circumstance and with wisdom and mercy and grace? Pray that along with prayer for your circumstance. And pray this prayer. God, would you help me see in this circumstance, help me see it in light of your limitless, boundless, immeasurable love for me in Christ. 
Help me to grasp the love of Christ in the midst of my circumstances. And so if you ever want a prayer answered, God delights to answer those two prayers. He delights to answer those. Because the God who is exceedingly, abundantly more powerful uh, and more capable to answer any prayer that we could ever ask, he loves to answer that prayer. That you'd be strengthened in your inner being. That you'd be able to grasp the love of Christ. And so shifting the focus of our prayers from asking God to change our circumstances to asking him to strengthen our inner life, that leads to the change we need the most. That leads to the strengthening of our hearts. And this is the kind of change that will make a tremendous difference no matter the circumstances. And the moments we most need God to show up. Because listen, if we pray these prayers, what it says is that we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, pray for that thing. Pray for God to change your circumstance. Do that. But pray that he would fill you with his strength, fill you with his love, that you'd be filled to all the fullness of the measure of God. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, well, we pray this. We pray that you would strengthen us with your power in our inner being so that Christ could dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we would be able to have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ in order that we would be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Lord, did you do that in our hearts in the midst of whatever circumstances we're facing? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.